Still on this series, uh, Faith and Prayer. You know, it's kind of sad to me. We've had a couple communications here in recent days. People new to the ministry want to know how to get their prayers answered or how they might be praying amiss. Uh, you know, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Amen. Because I don't know of anything more important than teaching the people of God how we can be effective in our prayer life. Can I get an amen? Amen. And how to employ our faith in a practical way to get results. Now, don't miss the Holy Week revival this year, and it all comes early. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, all falls in the month of March, which is odd. Uh, March 24 to 29, which is Palm Sunday through Good Friday, and then Easter on the 31st. And I gave you last time three verses to meditate in preparation for the Holy Week Revival 2024. John 15, 7. I like the New King James here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, the reason I say we need to meditate on these verses between here and the Holy Week Revival is to get set in our heart the surety of the language. Because notice he says, it shall be done for you. Not maybe, not probably, not odds are. It shall be done for you. And then Mark eleven twenty four 24 is very similar as far as the surety of the language. Therefore, I send you what things serve you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you shall have them. And another companion, couple of verses, 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. We know that we have it. We know that we have it. Now this this, uh, this affects our posture in prayer. You know, and when I think about the posture of faith, I always think of a catcher in a baseball game. He, he takes a particular posture and he's getting ready to what? What's he getting ready to, to, to do? He's getting ready to receive. And uh, we saw last Sunday that the church was praying for Peter when he was in jail but they must not have been praying in anticipation of receiving because when he comes and he knocks on the door, they said Rhoda was crazy. She was out of her mind. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So we need to, I say we need to, I think it'd be highly recommended to meditate on these three verses going in between here and Holy Week Revival, try and get them set not just in the head, but try and get them down into our hearts. And it, it ties into where we're headed tonight in the message and some of the things we see going around, uh, going on around us. Now, we, we left off last time in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. And we were talking about the defeated ones. And we were talking about how that everywhere Jesus went, he had these encounters with demons. And we don't think about this, but until Jesus came along, these demons had operated unhindered. I mean, there's, to the best of my knowledge, there's no example in the Old Testament of a prophet or a man of God or anyone casting a devil out. So they went for generations. I mean, think about it. They went for about 4,000 years unhindered, unfettered. And then Jesus comes along. So these demons operated with impunity because no one had authority to dispossess them or to rule over them. Now, of course, the question always arises, how do people get demons? <laughs> well, that's not really the topic tonight, but you understand 
When I was a boy and I delivered newspapers for the Detroit Free Press, you know, I read every paper. And uh, the crimes going on back then in the, in the 60s in Detroit might have been a liquor store holdup. I mean, that was kind of more or less the extent of what was going on. But uh, what we see in the news every day now is not that. And so somebody could go rob a bank and they don't need a demon to do that. Somebody could stick up a liquor store. They don't need a demon to do that. But a lot of these crimes we are seeing in 2024, a human being is not making the decision to do those crimes. You understand? So how do they get in? Well, people open doors. And uh, one way people can open doors, of course, is through sex. Are you saying that if, if you have uh, sex that is a sin kind of sex, that you're going to get a demon? That's not, a, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying it's a possibility. You know, when you study FBI statistics, uh, the FBI statistics show that most child abusers were abused. There's a communication of spirits that goes on. And uh, does it have to play out that way? No. While I was standing over there during that, that last great worship song, I was thinking about a boy in Mexico City, we were doing a crusade. I've never had any trouble with demons. Don't judge me for this because, you know, I make these statements and people could, you know, think that I'm, think I'm somebody. I, once I came across the information in the Pauline literature, I just, uh, I just believed it and I acted upon it. I've never had any trouble with them. But anyway, so we're preaching in Mexico City and there was this boy. He was about eight rows back, uh, 10 rows back, and I took note of him. I, I mean, I knew he had a demon. And, uh, but when he came up, because the gift that operates the most in my life is Sue's life. And it doesn't operate all the time. You have to understand, these gifts are severally as he wills. They come, they go. And then also you have to interpret all of this by Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. If God reveals something to us, then it's ours to act upon the knowledge. But that doesn't mean God's telling us everything. And so if God doesn't tell us something, guess what? It's none of our business. Amen. And so, but when this boy came forward, I, I, in fact, I told him, I said, you like your devil, don't you? He smiled. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's nothing as weird as a, as a demon smiling back at you. And, uh, but I said, come back when you want rid of him. And so, you know, we're preaching night after night. And by the way, here's the Lord's reminding me, one of the main ways people picked up demons in Central America was that when a woman was with child, she would go to a shaman to find out what the sex of the baby was. I mean, this was probably the most common thing I heard in all of my preaching in Central America. And so uh, if you have a Ouija board in your house, I, I, I have no idea what to say to you. Uh, you know, like, are you out of your mind? Uh, tarot cards, what in the world are you doing? You know, so there should be none of that in our homes. I said there should be none of that in our homes. But two or three nights later, that boy came up and... Uh, I said, are you ready to get rid of your demon? He, he, he said, yes, sir. And so it's no problem. Now, I made a statement last Wednesday. And as soon as I got home and watched the message, I realized that there was something unsaid. And I, one of the things I said was, the reason we don't see a lot of this kind of activity is because they're drugged. And that's true. But there's another reason we don't see a lot of this kind of activity, and that is, they're not going to manifest in the presence of someone who knows their place in Christ. Amen. 
because they know they'll get cast out. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, if somebody jumped up right now and had a screaming fit, uh, they're not going to do that, probably. I mean, because I just handle it. So they hide. Now you go somewhere like Washington, D.C., they're not hiding, they're in charge. <laughs> you understand? So there are places, clubs, you see? Uh, there are places where they can just be themselves, as it were, because there's no risk or chance of somebody casting them out. So they hide. One of, the early, one of the early things I learned along this line was from Finest Jennings Dake. Sue and I were at a meeting of his, and he talked about this. He talked about the King James term, familiar spirits. And what is familiar? Well, they have a demon and they like their demon. And nothing can be done about it. I've only come across it once or twice. In fact, I think twice in my life. But, uh, but it can happen. Now, back to Mark 1. They went in Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Everybody say authority. authority. Not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And I mentioned last Wednesday how sad it's always been my entire life to think that the demons instantly knew who he was, but the religious leaders had no idea who he was. I mean, they spent their lives. Listen, there's a real heads up here. They spent their lives studying the Bible, and when the Messiah came along, they didn't know who he was. So obviously you can study the Bible and not get a, a good result. And I don't want to be like that. Amen. Amen. So this demon not only knew Jesus, but he knew his authority and he knew his attitude toward him, the demon. All right. So the Lord's wanting me to deal with this just a little bit. We're going to get into this in the Holy Week Revival because in the Holy Week Revival 2024, we're going to talk about not entertaining certain lines of thought, not entertaining failure, not entertaining fear, not entertaining doubt, not entertaining unbelief. What do you mean entertain? Well, you know, Kenneth Hagin, the one that went to be with the Lord in 2003 said, you cannot stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. And so a thought may come. That's not a sin. But if you entertain it, well, now you've crossed over into another territory. And so failure, fear, unbelief, and doubt. All right. So that's one issue. But there's another issue, and we're going to deal with this in the Holy Week Revival. And this other issue is something in the King James that is called the flesh. See, I can, I, for example, back to fear. Paul wrote, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But a lot of times we read these verses and we don't think about the language. God has not given us the spirit of fear. So what is fear? Talk to me. What is fear? Talk to me. What is fear? It is a spirit. And so I can rebuke fear. I can resist fear and it will flee. I can rebuke, I can rebuke doubt. I can resist doubt and it will flee. These are spirits. I can rebuke unbelief, I can resist unbelief, and it will flee. These are spirits. But I can't resist and rebuke the flesh because it's me. 
Well, what is the flesh? See, man is a spirit. And he has a soul and he lives in a body. So man is a spirit. So when you give your life to Christ, when you are born again, when you are made alive in Christ, it's your spirit man that is saved. It is your spirit man that is made new. It is your spirit man that is a new creation in Christ Jesus. If a guy was bald, he's still bald. If a guy was tall, he's still tall. Does that make sense? <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. If he was a guy, he's still a guy. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not, your, it's not your body that was saved. It is your spirit man that was saved. Well, wait a minute. We, there's more to us than the spirit man and the body. There is the soul. What is the soul? The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And it's kind of bad news, but the mind, the will, and the emotions were not born again. So now this explains Romans 12, 1 and 2. We'll get into this in the Holy Week Revival. Uh, that I've got to do something with my body and I've got to do something with my mind. See, there's no productivity. There's no point. There's no victory in, in having a saved spirit man and letting my, my, my body just do whatever it wants or letting my mind just do whatever it wants or letting my emotions just do whatever they want. Now, somebody we could get into a long talk about is somebody still born again if they do that. Well, how about we don't go there because letting your mind, your will, your emotions, and your, your, your physical body do what they want leads to certain defeat without a doubt. Without a doubt. Certain defeat without a doubt. So I have to do something with my body. T say it out loud. I got to do something with my body. And I've got to do something with my mind. Say it out loud. I got to do something with my mind. Because see, th th these are parts of me that are not born again. Now, collectively, in the King James, Paul calls them the flesh. And, and we're going to get into this uh, March 24 to 29. So I've got to crucify the flesh. I've got to mortify the flesh. You know, I've got, to, I've got to put the flesh under. And basically, my spirit man dominates. My spirit man basically lets my body, my mind, my will, my emotions know they're not in charge. My spirit man's in charge. Can you see that? Amen. So how do these demons gain entrance? Well, Sexual immorality, but also, well, Ouija boards, tarot cards, going to a shaman to determine the sex of a child, but through behaviors. Yielding, that's a great King James word. People yield to spirits. And then they open a door. They open a door. And I don't know, <laughs> you have to understand, I've been doing this 50 years. I don't know what your thinking is, but my thinking is, I would like from this day to my last day to not ever open one more door for the devil. Amen. Because I know this, when we open a door for him through our big fat mouths or through our conduct, he comes in. He's not bashful. He'll march right in, take over whatever area of life you invited him into. So, we don't, we don't need to live thinking about demons and devils and evil spirits and all of that. I mean, I don't. I know I have absolute authority over them. On the other hand, I have to be mindful not to open doors. Amen. Can you see that? 
And so, because I, I don't want to give him entrance into any area of my life. Now, what's going on in these United States with all these sex crimes? This is, this is yielding to demon spirits run amok. And the people in charge don't care. I mean, I'm sure there are certain jurisdictions where they'll, they'll you know, put you away. But there are, there, are, there are entire states where it doesn't matter what kind of crime you commit against a woman or a child, uh, you're going to get probation. And so these demons, man, they're just, they're just going to town. And then they communicate with each other. It's amazing to me. You put two people in a room with a demon... You could put two people in a room of a thousand people with a demon and they'll find each other in two and a half minutes. There's a communication that goes on between them that we don't even understand. So it's not Bible, but it's, it's almost close. Birds of a feather flock together. So we have to be mindful You know, they're just waiting for people like my generation to all die off because, you know, I remember America back when, like I said, the biggest crime in the newspaper would be a liquor store holdup. I'm old enough to remember that. But see, people, young people today, this is all they know. It's crazy. See, in other words, somebody my age knows this is crazy. But young people, it's all they, it's all, it's, that's all they've ever known. So they don't maybe know it's crazy. But what you read as far as the news, it's, it's not criminal, it's crazy. And it's not normal. It's crazy. Amen. And some of it's, Crazy, crazy, and some of it's demonically crazy. But it doesn't matter to me whether it's crazy, crazy, or demonically crazy, man. I don't want it anywhere near me. Amen. And people yield. I got, listen, you, you probably will never come across somebody with greater experience in this than me because, you know, I dealt with it for decades. You know, somebody that I know and love, just yield to spirits, yield to spirits, just yield to spirits, just yield to spirits, just yield to spirits. Crazy talk. And what happens is there comes a point where they don't even realize what they're saying. They don't even realize what they're doing. Because it's, it's this pattern of yielding. You know, when the Bible says things like this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. They weren't just writing that because they were bored and didn't have anything else to do. Be sober. But we got half the evangelical church out here drinking. When the Bible says, be sober. I cannot, and, and you know, I just read today about an organized crime syndicate. They busted up in New York, and the way they did this was uh, hitting up on people in bars in New York City, getting them drunk, taking them back to their hotel or their house, and robbing them blind. You cannot tell me one good thing that comes out of drinking. And drinking lowers your inhibitions. So girls don't go to clubs. I mean, everybody here can recall a news story about a woman, a female, going to a bar and never being seen alive again. It just happens. 
See why? It lowers inhibitions. You're not on guard. You don't know what he put in your drink. But see, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah, but my friends go there. Well, they're going to hell. Are you going to go there with them? Well, they're all going to hell. I'm going with them. Is that your thinking? So we get ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, hanging out with the wrong people, and then we're just, we're just gobsmacked that bad stuff happens. No, you're in the wrong place, the wrong time with the wrong people. Doing the wrong thing. Automatically bad stuff's going to happen. Can you see that? So he says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil. So, and a lot of people, you know, they, they're waiting for some caricature to show up. You know, something with a horn and a, and a tail and a pitchfork. That's not how he comes. He comes in a miniskirt. Could be a, a guy in a miniskirt now. <laughs> I mean, uh, or, or, or the offer to, for a, a free hit of meth or whatever. Did you know there are more than 6,000 brothels in London? 6,000. You know where they, where do they get the girls? Where do they get the girls? Well, one of the ways they do it is in places like Vienna, they, they offer teen girls free drugs. Then you give them more, and it doesn't take but a few, a few occasions and then they're needy, and then you put them in the back of a van, and you take them to London, and they're a slave for the rest of their lives. 6,000. You're not going to find the manpower for 6,000 brothels by advertising, you know, for sex workers. You have to steal human beings to uh, put in the manpower for 6,000 brothels. And everybody knows it. And nobody does a thing about it. The cartels are making more money now trafficking humans across that southern border than they are trafficking drugs. And all anybody wants to talk about is slavery 150 years ago. Well, it's going on right now. It's going on right now. There was a girl snatched out of... Uh, a stadium in Dallas. I think that was last year, maybe two years ago. And I mean, within 48 hours, they have her in a brothel in Oklahoma City. And the police don't do nothing about it. It was a, a charity organization that uses uh, software. What do they call it? Facial recognition software and tractor and founder. But if you, if you, think, if you think that you're going to go and be in public and not keep a hand on children and nothing happen, you don't even know where you're living. Because there are people, are you, are, are you saying all those sex traffickers have demons? I don't know if every one of them has a demon, but what kind of human being could do this? This is not like stealing a Diet Coke at 7-Eleven. This is evil at a whole nother level. And this is going on all around us and people are basically clueless. So my advice would be wake the hell up. Tell your neighbor, wake the hell up. Tell the neighbor on the other side, just in case anybody thinks I'm worried about offending y'all, tell the neighbor on the other side, wake the hell up. Because it's dangerous out there. I said, it's dangerous out there. We have women in this church, two different women in this church. And, you know, they're, they're it, what a precarious situation. They got the hatch, two different women in this church. They got the hatch open on the back of their SUV. They have their children in hand and they got this grocery cart 
and they're in the process of moving the groceries from the, the, the cart to the back and a van pulls up and somebody starts talking to them. Two different women in this church this has happened to. And so you need to be aware that it's not the 50s. It's not what it was. Am I helping anybody? Now let's go to Mark 4, verse 1. This is the temptation of Christ. We're going to learn some lessons here and quit. Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now notice that the first temptation was based on the human body. The first temptation was based on the flesh, but more particularly the body, because he was hungry. Jesus said it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that is Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. So that's Old Testament. Jesus is quoting from Moses. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now I want you to notice that on the first temptation, he comes at Jesus on the basis of Jesus' hunger and Jesus answers him with the word of God so now on the second temptation, Satan comes at him with the Bible. And we're going to see this in the Holy Week revival. Satan knows what you know, and Satan knows what you don't know, and what you don't know, he'll use against you. So he starts quoting the Bible. Now he did this to Eve. When he, when he was talking to Eve, but he, he took what God said and twisted it. And so you can make the Bible say anything. I think I dealt with this two or three weeks ago. The Bible says Judas went and hung himself. The Bible says, uh, go thou and do likewise. The Bible says, what thou doest, doest quickly. We could string all that together. Judas went and hung himself. Go thou and do likewise. What thou doest, doest quickly. Well, we all know that's not Bible. That's not what the Bible, that's not the intent of the Bible. So we have to interpret the word by the word. That's one reason why when we are looking for promises that cover our situation, we need two or three because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So Satan says to him at this second point, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Well, in a weird way, this is very similar to what the snake handlers do. In other words, we know from Paul on Malta what the intention of Jesus was at the end of Mark's gospel, you shall take up serpents and they shall not harm you. He didn't mean on purpose. We see with Paul in the, on, on the island of Malta, he's building a fire and there's a snake in the wood. It bites him. He just shakes it off into the fire. And they, they, because of the kind of snake it was, the people of Malta were sure he was going to die. And when he didn't die, well, then they thought he was a god. But he didn't pick it up on purpose. See, that's, that's, that's an abuse of the word of God. I mean, just because I know that he will give his angels charge over me doesn't mean I'm going to walk a wire between two tall buildings because we're not to tempt the Lord our God. Amen. See, and so then Jesus answers, it is also written, do not put the Lord to the test or do not tempt the Lord thy God. That's Deuteronomy 6.16. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. Now, if you can understand this right here, it'll help you understand the earth as it is in 2024. He said, all this I will give you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, in Luke's gospel, chapter four, verse six, it says, 
I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. So who gave it to him? Talk to me. Who gave, who gave the kingdoms of this earth and all their splendor to the devil? Adam. So, and he says in Luke 4, 6, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, I, it will all be yours. Back in Matthew's gospel, verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's Deuteronomy 6, 13. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, if the Old Testament is of no value, as some of these modern day apostates claim, then why was Jesus able to employ it successfully on this occasion three times? Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. It might be good to write these references down. Acts 10, 38 records how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all. Say it out loud five times. Healing all. Healing all. Healing all. Healing all. Healing all. Healing all. Healing all who were under what? Uh, well, that's a good reason to not invite him in. The devil never comes to anyone and says, uh, I want to strip you of half your net worth. The devil never comes to anybody and says, I want to give you syphilis. The devil never comes to anybody and says, I want to give you gonorrhea. No, that's not the way he comes. He comes on the pretext of let's party. Can you see that? And then it's when the party's over, you got syphilis or gonorrhea or like those those people clubbing in New York, they find out that all their stuff's been stolen because they got drunk and took strangers to their hotel room or their home and whatever drugs they were given gave up their passwords and now they, they don't own anything. But the devil doesn't come and say, hey, let me, let me strip you of your net worth. That's why you can't play with them. You know, the Pope, dummy that he is, said here a couple of years ago that we're, we're no intellectual match for the devil. Well, we're not going up against Satan based on IQ. We go against him. We stand against him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is a defeated foe. Can you see that? But you try and match wits with him, you are going to get snookered. He'll defeat you. We don't even try. We're not matching wits with the devil. And also, let me say this. People think, you know, they're oh so shrewd. Satan has got about 6,000 years experience wrecking people. And probably there's nobody in the room with more than 70 or 80 years experience resisting him. But he's got about 6,000 years experience wrecking lives. Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He, he didn't come to party. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But thanks be unto God, he is a defeated foe. 1 John 3 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Back up at I-30, I used to say it this way, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if there's any stealing going on, if there's any destroying going on, if there's any killing going on, that's not God. And according to 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. Say it out loud. The Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. And that's why if you have any manifestation of his work, man, I'm telling you, Spirit of God is strong on this. 
If you have any manifestation of the destructive power of Satan going on in your body, don't you yield, don't you submit to it, don't you take ownership of it with your mouth, don't you accept it, no, 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 you rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and you run him out. You run him out of your body, you run him out of your mind, you run him out of your house, you run him out of your business, you run him out of your work. Do not tolerate stealing, killing, and destroying. Because he won't stop. He won't stop. He will not stop. He won't take 20% of your health and quit. He, <laughs> he, he's an infestation that you do not want to permit in. Jesus conquered Satan as we have seen in Colossians 2.15 and having disarmed, what tense is that? And having disarmed. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. One translation says he put to naught every work of Satan on Calvary's cross. Now look at this. We don't often go to Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Now in Colossians 2.15, we see that they were disarmed and they were stripped of their authority. And then in Hebrews 2.14, we see that Jesus destroyed the authority of the Lord of death. He ruled for 4,000 years as the Lord of death, but Jesus stripped him of his authority. And Jesus went to hell on our behalf, he suffered the penalty and he took from Satan the keys of death and hell. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Galatians 3.13, of course, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. So I challenge you to go to Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 following, Anything you see in that list, you do not accept it, you do not receive it, you do not tolerate it because those are the curses of the law. And you have every right to go to your father and say, this is going on in my body, but you see right here, it's in Deuteronomy 28, and Jesus redeemed me from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for me. So, Father, what Satan's doing here is illegal. Amen. And I resist it, and I command it to cease. Amen. And I command his works to be reversed and undone. Amen. Revelation 1, 17, 18, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. So, friends, this is Satan's eternal defeat. Say it out loud. The devil is a defeated foe. The devil is a defeated foe. All right. Then understand Hebrews 9, 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having a having obtained eternal redemption. Past tense, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, during Jesus' earth walk, he defeated Satan at every point of contact from the day of his temptation until he surrendered, surrendered himself on the cross. Now, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, and here I have Moffat's translation. We speak wisdom, however, among them that are full grown, not a wisdom of the dethroned powers that rule this world. And that is blinding revelation. He says, we speak wisdom, however, among them that are full grown, not a wisdom of the dethroned powers that rule this world. Now, look at the language in Moffat's translation here. The dethroned powers that rule this world. They are dethroned. They are defeated. They are crushed. But they rule this world. Why? Because men invite them in. And men like them. You don't, think, you don't think 
God is running Washington, D.C., do you? You don't think God is running Austin, Texas, do you? Dethroned powers are in charge. Now, this is the reality of the world in which we live. But I, having come into knowledge of who I am in Christ, have come into an understanding that they may be in charge out there, but they are not in charge in my life, in my body, in my home, in my money, in my work, in my labor. They're not in charge here. And you see that. See, we don't have any control over what others are doing. But I have control over my body. I have control over my mind. I have control over my will. I have control over my emotions. And I, I don't open doors. I don't invite them in. Because when he comes in, what's he going to do? He's going to steal. He's going to kill. He's going to destroy. That's what he does. Wreck and ruin. That's what he does. He doesn't come to party. He comes to wreck and ruin. Dethrone powers that rule this world. Satan and his demonic forces are dethroned. Romans 5.17, Weymouth's translation, for if through the transgression of the one individual, death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty, he's talking about Adam, all the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness reign as kings in life through the one individual, Christ Jesus. The new creation, that's us, who was the defeated one. The new creation, that's the body of Christ collectively. The new creation, who was the defeated one, the conquered one, now reigns as a king in the realm of life here among men, where he had once served as a slave of spiritual death. It's a heartbreak that most Americans who go to an evangelical church never hear about the authority of the believer. It's a heartbreak that most Christians who go to evangelical churches never hear about the authority they possess as believers in the name of Jesus. It's a heartbreak. But it's a heartbreak to hear about it and not use it. It's a heartbreak to hear about it and let him just do whatever he wants. Run wild. We have great authority. We have no idea the authority we have. We have no idea the authority we have. We have no idea. And I said last Wednesday, Satan gets us into a corner with symptoms and financial challenges and, and, and we spend our whole lives hunkered down trying to get God to, you know, uh, help us here and help us there. And we, just last Sunday, we went through the list of the apostles and the great men from the book of Acts. See, we, we, ought, to be, we ought to be workers together with him rather than trying to figure out how to pay the rent. We ought to be workers together with him, rather than struggling. We have a, we have a friend in St. Louis, and uh, I, I'm not betraying anything because he did a video for us, I think a year ago, uh, David Crank. He said that he learned from me to not be ashamed of the blessings of God. See, Satan backs you into a corner that that. When you do the word and you speak the word and you take action on the word, the blessing of God shows up and then there's a, a, a lot of Christendom wants you to feel bad about the blessing of the Lord. I'm not going to feel bad about the blessing of the Lord. Amen. That's my father. Amen. That's my father. Amen. And so, you know, it's, it's this weird thing that if people want to talk about their 14 surgeries they've had, you know, nobody, nobody thinks a thing of it. But if somebody says, you know, praise God, man, you know, uh, I made a million bucks. God's so good. 
oh man, you know, all the judgment and the hate and the hell comes out. We do not walk this earth as other men do. We ought not walk this earth as other men do. One of my favorite fathers in the faith was John Osteen. I love that man. But he used to preach about how that when, when he, he, he had a dream and there were two little demons that coming down the street where he and Dodie lived. And uh, they were coming down the street to do their nefarious business on his block. And then one demon, you know, just stopped. And the other demon said, what's wrong? And he said, John Osteen's up. He's awake. And they scurried off. They didn't want to be around him. Now, that was a dream. We don't have any biblical authority for that, but that's the way I see it. Amen. I'm awake. I'm sober. I'm vigilant. I know my place in Christ. I know the authority of the name of Jesus, and, and I'm not messing with him any more than I'd mess with, you know, Joe Bubblebrain. In other words, uh, he, he doesn't have anything to do with me, and I don't have anything to do with him. Are you hearing me? Amen. See, if I don't open the door, then he, he has nothing to do with me. We don't want him in our homes, our, our bodies, our businesses, or our money. Can I get an amen? Amen. And let's quit with Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet. How many things did God place under the feet of Jesus? And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Appointed him to be head over how much? Everything. All right, but wait a minute. Hold the phone. What are the next words? For the church. Shout it out loud. For the church. For the church. And who is the church? We are. we are. We are. Look at the language. And God placed all things under his feet and it appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. My brothers, my sisters, and my friends, we have not yet understood what Jesus did for us. Amen. Amen.